Okay, so we finished talking about the MHC complex and all the MHC molecules on Wednesday. We had a pretty good example of what can happen if your MHC molecules aren't very different when we talked about cheetahs. So today, before we start talking about the T-cell receptor, and on Monday we will get to the T-cell receptor, but today we need to bridge the gap. We need to look at some of the experiments that, that went to figuring out how did the peptide get to be part of the MHC molecule. So you have your MHC molecule sitting there in, the, in that big old piece of DNA. You're going to manufacture some MHC molecules. And let's say at that point in time, this cell that's making these MHC molecules, right? Because it doesn't matter. It's every single cell in the body, is except for non-nucleated cells, is making that MHC class 1 molecule. So you're constantly making those MHC class 1 molecules. You're putting them on the cell surface. At one point in time, you're a cell. You become infected with a virus. You need to get those viral peptides up and out. How are you going to do it? You are an antigen-presenting cell. You've just phagocytosed an invader. You've just phagocytosed a bacteria. You're going to put that MHC class 2 molecule on the surface that is going to contain some of those digested proteins, some of those peptides from that invader. How's it going to happen? Right? So before we can talk about the T cell receptor, right, at this point in time, right, we know about cells. We know about MHC molecules. We kind of know about the peptide. Before we can talk about right, how the T cell receptor is going to be able to recognize that peptide, we've got to figure out how that peptide gets out there in the first place. So, how does the peptide get to be part of the MHC complex? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is the antigen has to be degraded into peptides. So that's the antigen processing part. And we've kind of touched on that a little bit. Right? For a class 2 molecule, as that phagolysosome is forming, as those lysosome sort of enzymes and the, and the acidic pH of the phagolysosome is forming, we're breaking apart that invader. We've been using the bacteria as our example, so we're breaking apart that bacteria. We're digesting those proteins. Those, proteins, those proteins are being digested into peptides. For an MHC class 1 molecule, we've been talking about viral infection or a viral signal to the rest of the immune system. So that virus hijacks the cell, turns the cell into, into a viral factory. As that virus starts producing its proteins that it needs to make progeny virus, those proteins are going to be broken into peptides. And those peptides are going to be put onto the surface of an MHC class 1 molecule. So that's where the antigen right, processing has to come from, where the degradation of the proteins into those peptides has to come from. And then the peptides are going to associate with MHC molecules somewhere in the interior, probably in the endoplasmic reticulum. And then that peptide MHC complex is going to be transported to the membrane and displayed. So now, Right, that antigen is going to be presented. So first we've got to process it, then we have to present it. Right. So both CD4 positive and CD8 positive T cells, so T helper cells and cytotoxic T cells, are only going to be able to recognize antigen when it's presented on the membrane of a cell by a self-MHC molecule. So this brings up two points. The first point is that this T cell And I don't care what kind it is. It can be a helper T cell or it can be a cytotoxic T cell. It doesn't matter. With its T cell receptor on the cell surface is not going to be able to recognize a protein or it's not going to be able to recognize a bacteria or anything else like we've been talking about with a B cell. It's only going to be able to recognize right, this peptide or this protein if it's presented to it in an MHC molecule. It's the only way it's going to be able to see it, for the T cell. So that's the first part. And the other part about this, a more important part that we'll now get into and we'll now start to explore right in the last third of the course is that this has to be presented by a self-MHC molecule. 
it means it has to be presented by a MHC molecule that is recognized by the self-immune system, right? by your own immune system. Right? It has to be one of your MHC molecules. And this is going to lead to, the, to a, a concept that's called self-MHC restriction. Right? Your T cells are only going to respond appropriately to your MHC molecules. And when we talk about, we'll talk about why that's going to happen on Wednesday. But for now, right, this is the way transplantation is going to work. The T cell receptor, the T cell itself, is going to recognize if this is a non-self right, cell, and it's going to recognize it by looking at the MHC molecule. If that T cell comes and recognizes this MHC, right, along with either the CD4 or the CD8 molecule. If it recognizes this as being a self-MHC molecule, it's going to leave it alone unless, right, there's a, a viral peptide or some other peptide up there. If, on the other hand, this T cell, and it's probably going to be a cytotoxic T cell, recognizes this MHC molecule as being a non-self molecule, then this T cell is going to destroy that cell. Right? That's how transplantation reactions. That's how you reject an organ if you're a transplant, I don't want to say victim, if you're a transplant patient. Right? And that's why we need, right? That's why when people go into the hospital, when you watch ER or you watch Grey's Anatomy, right? when they go into the emergency room, I need a type and a cross match. Right? You need a type of blood and you need a cross match. And a cross match could mean you know, let's set up a test to see what the MHC molecules look like on my, on my patient in case this patient needs a transplant. So when you go out and you do tissue typing for transplant, you're looking for similar MHC molecules of the host, and the more similar you can make those MHC molecules on the graft, the more likely that graft is to survive. You always read stories in the news, right? Somebody needs a transplant and they're asking for volunteers to come down. People are going to probably donate some blood and you're going to be able to do a tissue typing reaction on the cells of the blood and you'll be able to see if you're a good candidate to serve as a transplant uh, donor for a certain recipient, right? And this is all due to the fact that the Recipients MHC, the recipient's immune system can recognize differences in those MHC molecules. If there are too many differences, the T cells of the host will destroy the graft. If there aren't that many differences, then the graft will be accepted by the immune system. Right? And the graft will grow up and live happily ever after. Right? The immune system doesn't know. The immune system of the recipient doesn't know that that recipient needs a kidney. The right? immune system doesn't say, oh, that's okay, we need that kidney because one of our kidneys is failing. So yeah, that kidney can... immune system doesn't know that, right? It's our job as transplant surgeons to be able to allow that recipient kidney to live inside that host. Right? So that's why we'll talk a lot about this as the course progresses, this self-MHC restriction. But for now, let's get back to antigen processing. Right? So, class two antigen processing, it, that's pretty straightforward, right? That's a pretty easy one to see. The only way that we're going to get some sort of class two presentation is again, oh, I made this really big, <laughs> if, we get, if we get this bacteria being destroyed, right? I need my bean-shaped nucleus, right? Inside this macrophage and those peptides are going to be captured, brought to the endoplasmic reticulum along with that MHC class II molecule and then presented out on the cell surface. So that's pretty straightforward. So what's our requirements right, to be an antigen presenting cell? Right? We need to have MHC class II molecule on the cell surface. Clearly, if we don't have an MHC class II molecule, we can't present it to a T helper cell. We need a 
a member of a family of molecules that are called the B7 family of molecules. And this B7 molecule on the surface of this antigen-presenting cell, right? So here's the MHC that we need on the surface. Here's B7 that we need on the surface. And this is going to take place because the T cell receptor is going to be able to recognize the peptide this way. And then there's going to be another protein, probably a CD28 molecule, on the surface of the T cell that needs to recognize the B7 molecule. We may need to be able to process antigen. And if we're an antigen-presenting cell, we can process antigen by definition. And the other thing we need to be, if we're, a, if we're an antigen-presenting cell, we need to be able to synthesize and release certain cytokines. And the, one of the more important cytokines is the cytokine interleukin-1. And we'll talk about them when we talk about cytokines, when we talk about how T cells are going to be stimulated by antigen-presenting cells. We'll talk about how all of these things are going to be appropriate. But for now, this is what we need to be. This is what we need to be a part of if we're going to be an antigen, an antigen presenting cell to be able to present that denatured, that broken down bacteria to the rest of the immune system. So, antigen presenting cells, we've talked a little bit about macrophages and B lymphocytes. Right, the B lymphocytes, as they bind that protein, right, if we're over here for a B cell, as we bind that protein with our, right, our membrane IgM molecule, that monomer of IgM on the cell surface that is the antigen receptor, this is going to be taken in, and then we can present this with an MHC class 2 right, to a T cell. So we've got a lot of different ways that the B cell can be involved. So we talked a little about macrophage, we talked a little about, about lymphocytes. There are another bunch of cells in the body that's going to be able to do these things. And these are called professional antigen-presenting cells. And they're called professional antigen-presenting cells because that's basically all they do. They're not there like macrophages patrolling the tissue spaces and looking for invaders, right, and, and sort of bringing this information out. Dendritic cells are macrophage-like cells of the spleen and the lymph nodes, and a type of dendritic cell is called a Langerhans cell, and a Langerhans cell is an immature dendritic cell of the skin, named after Dr. Langerhan. They're called dendritic cells because they look like dendrites. They look like nerve cells. Two weeks ago, Nobel Prize for the identification and characterization of dendritic cells. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, people didn't know that much about dendritic cells at all. They sort of noticed them. They looked, you know, oh, big deal. What are they doing there? We couldn't really investigate dendritic cells because we didn't have a good tissue culture system for dendritic cells. Imagine if every day you came into work and you needed to set up an experiment and you were working on dendritic cells, and every day you had to come in, you had to sacrifice an animal, you had to dissect out the dendritic cells, right, from all the cells inside the skin. You want to take out maybe Langerhans cells, you want to look at these dendritic cells. You'd have to dissect them out, you'd have to purify them, and that might take, yeah, I don't know, let's give it a, a conservative estimate, three or four hours. And then you had to start your experiments. So then you had to put another eight-hour day, right, because you needed to do your experiments. So that means every day you're working 14 to 16 hours a day just to try to investigate and just to try to figure out what these dendritic cells are doing. It took a many, many years to get dendritic cells to grow in tissue culture. Once we have them growing in tissue culture, you come in that morning, take, a, take the flask out of the incubator, takes you maybe a half an hour to you know, get those cells out of the flask and into the test tubes that you need to experiment on. And now you've got your a rest of your eight-hour day to work on your dendritic cells. So it took a while, right? Tissue culture and the techniques of tissue culture and the history of tissue culture and the progress of tissue culture go hand-in-hand hand with cell biology, right, because we can get cells out and start to grow them now, so 
discoveries in cell biology and absolutely discoveries in, discoveries in immunology. So dendritic cells now are probably the hottest cell in the immune system, right? Talking about cells of the immune system. So if you look at dendritic cells right, with a scanning electron micrograph or a phase contrast micrograph, they sort of look like dendrites, right? They have this large streaming sort of cytoplasm going out from the, from the center of their body, right, out and around. So they do look like they might be cells of the nervous system. So for the longest time, they were mistaken as cells of the nervous system until they sort of started to see more and more and more of them and they weren't close to each other, they weren't interacting with each other. They were just sort of living out in the tissue spaces, living in the spleen, living in the lymph nodes. So here are Langerhans cells in your skin. So you can see that this is protecting the dermal layer from any sort of entry of pathogens from the inside. So this is staining for dendritic cells. And as we learn more and more and more about dendritic cells, we can start to subcategorize the dendritic cells themselves. So you can find dendritic cells in the skin. And when those dendritic cells in the skin come into contact with an antigen, they're going to move from the skin, make their way into the lymph nodes. Once they get into the lymph nodes, they're going to come into contact with all those other cells. Right? We said that lymphocytes and B cells and macrophage are resident inside the lymph nodes. They're resident inside the spleen. So we can get them into the lymph nodes. We can get them into other different types of lymph nodes. We can talk about them in the spleen. We can talk about dendritic cells in the intestine, dendritic cells in the lung. So now dendritic cells are becoming more and more and more important. And it seems and it appears that it is the dendritic cells that are going to take that information that is captured and they're going to bring that information into the lymph nodes or to the spleen and as professional antigen-presenting cells, that's all they're going to do. They're going to make their way into the, into the lymph node and they're going to say, Hi, I have some news for you. All my friends here inside the lymph node, we're under attack out there, so let's get your butt in gear and let's get going. Right? So they're constantly patrolling the tissue spaces out here. And once they become activated, and they're going to become activated when they phagocytose some antigen, then they're just going to make a beeline towards the lymph nodes or towards the spleen, and that's when they're going to alert the rest of the immune system. So they are the sentinels of the immune system. And more and more, as more information is coming from them, they are becoming probably one of the more important cells of the immune system. Okay? So these are the dendritic cells and the Langerhand cells. So really, people started looking at macrophages and phagocytes probably sometime in the early 1980s or so. And they were doing experiments with antigen presentation by taking an antigen, right? So they're going to take some bacteria. They're going to add it to their nice dish of macrophages. Right? They have a homogeneous populations of macrophages in a tissue culture dish. So they're going to take these, these bacteria. They're going to add them to the dish, and they're going to start the stopwatch. And they're going to say, all right, What's happening after one minute? What's happening after two minutes, after five minutes, after ten minutes? And these experiments went hand in hand with experiments in phagocytosis. Remember we talked about the steps in phagocytosis, right? recognition, engulfment, formation of the phagosome, formation of the phagolysosome. So all those things were going at the same time. Right? We can use the same sort of stopwatch to do this. And what they're going to do here, they're going to throw in a little bit of a of a, of, a, of a change, and what they're going to do is they're going to fix the macrophages with paraformaldehyde. And paraformaldehyde is buffered formaldehyde. It's a very low concentration of formaldehyde. Right? Everybody here knows about formaldehyde. Right? We probably don't use it very much anymore when you have your frog right, to dissect or your cat to dissect. And we use other chemicals that aren't so harsh, that aren't so dangerous to us anymore. You know about formaldehyde, right? Because when you go to being bombed, that's what they used to put into you. And when you watch zombie movies, right, they're always, formaldehyde doesn't stop zombies or any other of the living dead, right? So you know, you got a pretty good feeling for what formaldehyde is. But paraformaldehyde is formaldehyde, very low concentrations in saline. And it's low enough to kill the cell, 
right? And it kills the cell by interfering with the mitochondria, so it shuts down, right, oxidative sort of uh, method, oxidative energy production in the cell by disrupting mitochondria. So it kills the cell that way, but it kills the cell nice. It keeps all the surface structures, it keeps the architecture, keeps everything else that has to do with the cell intact. It doesn't degrade the cell, it doesn't you know, turn the cell into, into pieces, it doesn't digest the cell. It makes it just nice. So, now we can do some experiments. So, if we add, right, this, if we add the bacteria themselves, if we add whole organisms to the macrophage culture, and then we fix those cells, Yes, we can see presentation. So that tells us right, that there's a certain time frame, a certain timeline that we can look at. Right? If we add whole organisms right, to the macrophage cultures to start with and then do our experiments, duh, right? dead cells won't phagocytose things because they're dead. Right? So clearly you had to do that experiment, but Seems like a pretty dopey experiment to do, right? Will dead cells be able to, you know, engulf things? So, let's look at our timeline, right? So here's our antigen-presenting cell, and in this example, in this cartoon, right, it's showing nothing being displayed, so that could be the old self-peptide or whatever it's going to be. So, we're going to add our bacteria, we're going to wait an hour, right? The antigen-presenting cell will be there, if we then fix the cell, if a T cell comes along, we're going to add a T cell now, a T cell will respond. Right, so that's the basic experiment. If we kill the cell first and then add the bacteria, right, cell can't phagocytose it, so T cells aren't there, nothing takes place. Right, so that's that. We can go further and look at different experiments. Here, if we take peptides, so we're going to do the digestion themselves. Right? We know a lot about sort of digesting proteins. Right? We can use proteases to digest proteins. And we can, we can use biochemical techniques to isolate the peptides. We can use HPLC. So instead of taking the bacteria itself, we can now take some of those peptides and we can add them to the macrophage cultures themselves. So if we take peptides from ovalbumin, and this is a different type of albumin, right, that's inside the blood. And again, it's a, it's a well-studied protein. So if we take these ovalbumin peptides, if we add them to live macrophages, absolutely we're going to get presentation, right? T cells will respond. If we take those peptides and add them to dead macrophages, it works too. So now you're thinking, what the heck? How can a, a, a dead macrophage present a peptide? Well, what people think is happening, right, clearly this is the first part of that experiment. So instead of putting an antigen in here, right, we're putting peptides in here. So these peptides will be phagocytosed or pinocytosed by the macrophage and they'll be able to present them. Only now we're doing this part, right, instead of adding antigen here, we're adding peptides. So people, when they did these experiments and they looked further at them, what they think is happening, or what they've shown that is happening, is that this high concentration of peptide, these little pieces, are going to just randomly associate with MHC class II molecules on the cell surface, right? Remember, that, that, that empty MHC molecule is sitting there, and when these peptides get close and they get in there, that MHC molecule is able to bind to it. Okay? So, it's like that empty MHC is sitting there waiting for, for peptides to be there, and that's what takes place. So the peptides are there, and it starts to bind, and we're able to stimulate a macrophage in the, uh, a T cell in those experiments. So we have our stopwatch. Now let's look at some of the events that are taking place during antigen processing. So clearly, right, the lysosome is very important. Right? Remember, before we had the phagosome, and then we're going to be able to have right, the lysosomes become part of the phagolysosome. Right? Before that, the lysosomes are just sort of their organelles right, sitting inside the cytoplasm, just waiting. And then as they start to empty their contents inside, 
that's when digestion is starting to take place. So that's part of the processing. So people used a whole bunch of different drugs. They're called lysomotrophic agents. They're agents that have an affinity for the lysosome. Right? And these are drugs like chloroquine and ammonium chloride. And they, what they share together is that they're weak bases that cross the membrane. Right? So they're diffusing across the cell membrane. And as they diffuse into right, other organelles inside the cell, because we're going from high concentrations of these drugs to low concentrations, and as they diffuse inside, they're going to diffuse and make their way into the phagolysosome. And what they do is they raise the pH of that phagolysosome. Right? And then they raise the pH inside the lysosome itself so that acid proteases aren't able to work. My biochemists right, know about acid proteases. They're just proteases that can still function at very acidic pHs. So those proteases, as that phagolysosome is getting more and more and more acidic, right, that, that, that acidity in there is helping to digest the, the, the proteins themselves and helping to destroy the bacteria. But those proteases that are being released need to be able to function at that acidic pH so that's where these acid proteases come and, and, and enter the fray for digestion. So these drugs inhibit antigen presentation, right? So the cells can do everything they do. They can internalize the antigen, right? They can phagocytose it, right? They can recognize the, the bacteria, phagocytose it. The lysosomes will make their way, will form the phagolysosome, but it's not going to be able to degrade it, right? Because we're raising the pH in here to make it more neutral, and the acid proteases right, aren't able to work. Right? So it can't present it. It can do everything it needs, but it can't present it. The other part about this is if we add these agents, let them diffuse into the cell, if we then wash the surrounding media so that, so that those reagents are now gone, those reagents will diffuse back out of the cell, and it's like they were never in there anymore. Right? So we can get rid of those effects. So within about an hour or so, those effects are over. So our stopwatch right, helps us to see what, put a sort of a time frame into that processing event. Yes, we can see the macrophage recognize the invader. Yes, we can see the macrophage engulf the invader. Yes, we can see the phagolysosome being formed. Then nothing takes place because the drugs are in there. And then if we get rid of the drugs, now we can see the processing events even right, taking place because the drugs are gone, the pH goes down, acid proteases are now able to work, and now we get our digestion taking place. So it shows us how important the, the, the phagolysosome is to the processing event, but you know, it sort of makes sense. You have to be able to break apart the proteins themselves. So we're going to add proteins to live right? macrophages. We're going to wait 45 minutes. We're going to fix it. Yes, we see presentation. We're going to add proteins to live macrophages. Live macrophages, we're going to add the drug before we fix. And at a certain amount of time, this drug is going to interfere with this. Right? We fix them. We get no presentation because there's nothing that was transported out of the phagolysosome, no peptide was transported out, brought to the endoplasmic reticulum to be part of the MHC complex. So you've got all these different experiments that you can do and all these different variations of experiments you can do to be able to see how these things are taking place. So again, just like we talked about with those stages of phagocytosis, right? and you'll see a lot of these stages of antigen processing sort of correlate exactly with those stages of phagocytosis that we talked about. So here, we need binding of antigen to the cell surface. We talked about binding. We need endocytosis into the lysosome, right? That's formation of the phagolysosome. We talked about that before. There's the endocytosis. We need proteolytic cleavage of the antigen. Right? We talked about that before. That was the degradation. And then when we talked about phagocytosis, we went from degradation here to right, expelling of the, of the digested bacteria. 
Only now, right, we're going to be able, we need a different sort of step when we're talking about presentation. We need to be somehow take that processed antigen and put it onto the surface. So we need to be able to take those peptides, bring them, right, in association with the MHC molecule, and then put those MHC molecules on the cell surface. Right? They have to be processed. They have to be presented. So all this processing doesn't mean anything if we can't present those peptides. Right? Doesn't mean anything if we can't get the attention of that T helper cell, because that's going to unite macrophages and T cells together. So we get this presentation taking place. And the other thing that we know about these events as they take place and the way in which it's going to work is that we know that certain products of T cells, and in this case activated T cells, can modulate class II expression. We talked about interferon gamma as being a stimulator of macrophages. We talked about interferon gamma as being a stimulator of macrophage activation. One of the things during activation that's going to be able to take place is, and I think we talked about this, is that activation is going to, is going to stimulate the cell surface exposure of different molecules. MHC class II molecules are some of those molecules. Right? So let's think about a progression here if we're looking at sort of the interaction or the dance that a macrophage or a phagocyte and this T helper cell is, gonna, is going to be involved with. Right? So, we have a bunch of bacteria out here. There's our macrophage. And here's our T helper cell. So our macrophage out here is going to have an MHC class II molecule. This T cell make it look the same. This T cell is going to have a T cell receptor out here. So this macrophage is out here minding its own business, stumbles upon, well it doesn't quite stumble, I'm sure it's attracted to, right? We got to give the macrophages its due, we get macrophages their due. So we make the phagolysosome, right? we start digesting this bacteria, we take those peptides, put them on the cell surface, we're going to stimulate this T helper cell. This macrophage is activated now, right, because we said phagocytosis stimulates activation of macrophages. So this T cell receptor, this T cell receptor, this T cell starts releasing interferon gamma. Right? That's the help that this T cell, that this CD4 positive T cell, this helper T cell, that's the help that this T cell is now giving to this macrophage. It's going to release interferon gamma, stimulate the macrophage and other macrophages in the area that may not be, right, phagocytosing at this time because they haven't come into contact yet. Maybe, you know, they're coming down that chemotactic pathway, they're getting close to the bacteria, but this interferon gamma right, is going to start stimulating everybody in the area. These macrophages are now going to become activated macrophages, and they're going to be gunning for bacteria, right? because they know, they don't know human-like characteristics, but they've been exposed to interferon gamma, so they've been stimulated. Interferon gamma is also going to increase MHC class II expression, uh-oh. Right. Again, this is all the same, right? It's going to stimulate MHC class II expression. And we're stimulating MHC class II expression out here so that if there are other T cells in the area, they're going to be stimulated and they're going to release more interferon gamma. And at the same time, remember, they're releasing cytokines to start stimulating B cells as well. So that, you know, we're not talking about that part of the equation, but in this part of the equation, we're centering on that phagocyte. Right. So, we're, we're putting more and more class II MHC molecules so we can get the interest of more and more and more T cells. Right. Maybe these T cells are, have 
the T cell receptor that's going to recognize all these different peptides, right? We said we had only one MHC class two molecule, but we could have hundreds and hundreds of molecules on the cell surface. It means we can start expressing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different peptides. So, now we're, now we're in the middle of it, right? Now this is it. We are bringing all guns to bear here. So the T cell receptors are firing. They're getting part of the deal here. The macrophages are getting revved up, and they're going to do even more and more and more phagocytosis, right? So now we're going to start to clear out, right? More and more phagocytosis. We're winning the war. We're winning the battle. We're bringing our troops home. Oh, I'm sorry. That's presidential elections, right? So we're going through all this stuff. Now what do we do? We're all revved up, right? We've been talking a lot, right? Most of the time that we talk, well, that I talk, about the immune system, I'm telling you about the go signals, right? Go find the invader. Go kill the invader. Go get more cells to come back here and kill the invaders, right? This is go, 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 go. Forward, forward, forward. Move, move, move. Kill, kill, kill. But now, they're gone. We won. Right? We got nothing left here. So now we got to bring the immune system back. Right? So, here's you in a regular day. Yeah, your immune system's working, everything's fine. Right? Somebody sneezes on you, you got to fight. Right? Your immune system gets revved up, you win the battle, got to come back to where we were yesterday. We've got to come back to homeostasis. We've got to bring everything back here. So, as less and less bacteria are here, right, we're getting less and less bacteria being processed. We're getting less and less MHC class molecules on the top. We're not engaging as many T helper cells. Right? We're not releasing as much interferon gap. Can I erase any more? Right? We're not engaging any more interferon gamma, we're not right, making any more other cytokines to stimulate B cells. <sighs> Boring again. Right? We're going to start looking. If this is a dendritic cell, it's going back out. Right? Its other brethren are back out in the skin, waiting to be right for other things to be able to take place. Yeah, we got a bunch of MHC molecules on the surface, but there's not much going on today because Right? We were calm, we won, now we need to be calm again. If we're not calm again, right, this activated immune system, if this stays activated for a long time, ooh, could do some damage to us. Right? It's like walking down the street with a big, giant, drooling, snarling pit bull. Right? And you got it on this pretty good leash. Right? And you got this giant, you know, sort of, we can stop and destroy anybody we want to. But, if that pit bill kind of turns its head and glances back at you, yike, right, I hope you can control it. You have to be able to control it. If you can't, that pit bull might, but not that I got anything against pit bulls, although I do have something against them. I don't like them. But anyway, right, so... <laughs> Right? You gotta be able to you gotta be able to hold on to that leash. You gotta be able to put the dog back into its kennel or wherever you store it, right? And bring it back to normal until you need it again. Right? Until you gotta walk back outside again. So we gotta be able to bring it back. So this is right one of the more classic examples of turning on the immune system. We just turned off the immune system. Right? And it's all driven by the fact that there's nothing there to recognize anymore. There's nothing there to attack anymore. So we just start ramping down the system. This T cell goes on its merry way. This macrophagia dendritic cell goes back to what it was doing. And it waits for the next time, and the next time, and the next time. Increase phagocytosis, stimulate T cells, release cytokines. Burp, right? We get that whole sort of line just going after going after going after going. Okay. So, we do know a lot about the processing event. Okay. So, here's class one MHC molecules. So, we're going to take those viral pep 
those viral proteins, break them down, express them on the cell surface. In the class two, we're going to be able to take that phagocytosed antigen, break it down, and express it on the cell surface. Right here's another little more in-depth sort of picture of this taking place. So, what do we know about it? Well, we know a lot about the components that we're going to need, right, to be able to do these things. So, if we're looking at class one, we have this whole bunch of proteins and systems inside the cell that are working. So we have this complex that's called the proteasome. It's a, it's a, it's a protein complex that degrades unneeded or damaged proteins by proteolysis. Every cell in the body, except probably some non-nucleated cells, has this proteostome complex. It is the part of everyday housekeeping. If all the proteins in the cell that the cell is manufacturing would remain inside the cell, we'd have lots and lots and lots of protein inside the cell, right? Proteins are made, proteins do their job, proteins are degraded, and proteins are gotten rid of. This is normal sort of cell, daily housekeeping things that have to take place. This is what the proteasome does. So when you look back at this picture over here, just don't even think about this part. Just think about this. So you get a lot of proteins in there, they make their way into the proteasome, they get destroyed inside the proteasome, and then they're, they're let go out of the cell. Some of these peptides that are being destroyed are going to be used by the immune system. So the immune system didn't reinvent a way to manufacture peptides. This is what cells do. So we're going to be able to do this, take the protein, and degrade it. So all these proteins that we're talking about, even these normal sort of housekeeping proteins, like this proteasome and this TAP complex and tapicin and these other proteins, they're all encoded, right, this is where the immunologist can take some of the credit, they're all encoded in the class 3 area of the MHC. Remember I said there's a whole bunch of other proteins in there? So yeah, do they kind of have an immune, you know, is that original thing that I said, they're all immune related? Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, kind of, sort of, it was a white lie, it was a stretch of a lie. So, so we're going to use this proteasome, we're going to bring out those peptides, we're going to capture some of those peptides, right? The transporter associated with antigen processing, this TAP complex, it's a heterodimer, two proteins, TAP1 and TAP2, which form a peptide binding site, brings it into the endoplasmic reticulum. Tapicin, another protein is going to interact with TAP. Right, a couple of chaperonin proteins right, that are there to assist in the binding and the folding of the MHC class 1 alpha chain. So as these peptides are sucked up by the immune system, and brought into the endoplasmic reticulum. We have a bunch of proteins in there, right? A bunch of, of chaperonin proteins that are going to be able to take the class one molecule that's being manufactured, right? Same way the leader gene, right? Brings it in, brings it together, puts the peptide inside, folds it around, brings it up to the cell surface. So we have that part of it. And then the other part that we have on the other side, an important protein for class 2 is called the invariant chain. And the invariant chain is going to prevent endogenous antigens, peptides, from binding to the class 2 MHC molecule. So when that phagolysosome right, is over here, and now we have the MHC class 2 molecules, we've got to somehow bring them together. So the class 2 molecule is manufactured, right, this invariant chain is going to hold the place open, right, that peptide binding cleft, and the clip, the clip protein, which is part of the invariant chain, right, fills that peptide binding region until the peptide is ready. Right? Remember, we're breaking it down, right? We have to manufacture this thing, so this class II molecule, right, this is sort of formed right here. This is held open. It comes up in here. Right, that invariant chain is digested and it's released. Now those peptides start to fill inside after clip is there, 
and it brings it onto the cell surface. Okay? We've got all these different things that can take place. Another thing that we can see that's only been sort of shown recently is called cross-presentation. And in cross-presentation, an antigen-presenting cell can put peptides into a class 1 MHC molecule. Okay? So remember, we're talking about usually antigen-presenting cells are presenting class 2 MHC molecules. Right? Here, we're looking at an antigen-presenting cell, and it's usually going to be a dendritic cell, right? is going to be able to present class 1 molecules. The mechanism is not known very well, but it probably involves a concept that's called retrograde translocation. So the proteins can move from the ER back into the cytoplasm, and the same way, right, that those proteins are bringing or, or bringing are brought towards the MHC class two molecules, they can be brought towards MHC class one molecules the same way, right? It allows dendritic cells to make presentations to be able to get into the act with talking to T cytotoxic T cells. So if something like a virus is out there, those cytotoxic T cells can become activated so that when they go out and come into contact with cells that are displaying these viral particles on MHC class 1 molecules, they're already good to go. Right? Okay. So, there we are. But before we leave, let's talk presentation, shall we? So, here's our sheet on presentations. Everybody got to do a presentation. I changed a little bit of the syllabus around to talk about presentations and to fit in presentations. I said this is the, the last year we're doing presentations because there's just way too many people taking the course these days. All right? So, everybody's got to do a presentation. So right now, everybody's turning like to page four, and they're looking at the presentation schedule, and they're looking to see where their name is, and they're freaking out because their name is on the presentation schedule. I'll talk about that in a second. So your presentation is a six-minute presentation, right? So you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I can't get in front of the class and talk for six minutes. What, are you kidding me? I'm going to be so nervous. I'm going to be so crazy. Guess what? When you come back from your presentation and thinking about your topic and coming to me, you're going to say, what, are you crazy? I can't do it in six minutes. I need at least 15 minutes to do my presentation. Well, that's part of, the, that's part of your job, right? Part of your job is to go out, find a topic you want to do it on, and then present your topic. Now, it can be any topic you want it to be on. It can be on things we've talked about. It can be things that we're going to talk about. It can be on things that we've never talked about. But it's got to be immunological. Right? You can't come to me and say, I want to do my presentation on cancer. It might be okay, but what's, what aspect of cancer do you want to talk about? What, where's the immunological thing? Or you come back and say, I want to do a, a, my presentation on a certain disease. Yeah, you know what? There's a whole bunch of autoimmune diseases, and the autoimmune diseases are going to fill up pretty quickly. Right? So people will find a whole bunch of autoimmune diseases, and they'll come back and they'll talk to me about autoimmune. But it's got to be immunological, and it's got to be something that can take place in six minutes. Right? So, the presentation is all about you. Right? You got a week to get the you got a week to get the topic to me, right? By next Wednesday or so, a week from Wednesday. It means you got another couple of weeks to get your topic if you're one of the first couple of people to go. You got another couple of weeks to get your presentation up and running. There's plenty of time to come see me, right? To talk to me about it, what you want to do, how you're going to do it. I'm begging you, all right? Pick a topic that you want to do a topic on. Don't go to Bing or whoever you use and type in immunology topic because you're going to get 10 billion, you know, or type in immunology, right? 
your topic has got to be good enough to talk about in six minutes. It can't be so broad, right? You couldn't come to me and say, I want to do asthma. Well, you know, there's probably books and books and books, even in our crappy library, about asthma. So how are you going to do a whole book in six minutes? And then you can't, don't come to me and say, well, I want to do, there's a certain protein in a certain cell that has to, and there's only one paper published about that. Right? You've got to find the Goldilocks area, right? It's got to be just right. And you're going to take all that information, you're going to distill it down and present it in six minutes. The other thing I'll tell you is, if you go to immunologypresentation.com, and you start copying, pasting, and you know, put some sort of presentation together, and you present the presentation, and your presentation goes something like, there are these proteins that are called antibody molecules, and these antibody molecules are really important proteins of the immune system. I mean, come on, right? You're talking to people who know what antibody molecules are. Right? You're talking to an educated audience. Right? So you've got to sort of gear it that way. Now, about the presentation schedule, right? Trust me, I got nothing against Caitlin, I got nothing against Matt, I got no, nothing against Noreen, I got nothing against Pat. I didn't put you there because I don't like, I didn't make you go first because I don't like you, right? And I didn't make it so that in, in this part, right, Olivia goes last. Olivia does the very last presentation ever, so it better be a stellar one, right? I didn't do it, I just sort of randomly picked things. If you notice on these sheets, you know, that you're going to a wedding that Friday and you weren't coming to class anyway, but you're scheduled for a presentation, don't come to me, right? I'm not going to facilitate changes. But if there's somebody in the course and you say, oh, Johnny's going to switch with me and I'm going to switch with Johnny, I'll put that in and you can do it that way, okay? You got any questions? Now, when I say get in touch with me, you can just send me an email, you can talk, however you want to get in touch with me. Have a nice weekend. Sure.